0: Episode 21. Welcome friends, God bless you and thank you for tuning in today to another episode of Bible FAQ with Kirk Van. The podcast that provides brief, thoughtful biblical answers to your questions. I'm Kirk Van Odeham, your host for this podcast. And once again, I'm looking forward to answering uh, some questions that have been provided and submitted uh, to listeners of Bible FAQ. So uh, I want to get right into uh, some questions for today in just a moment. Uh, I have at least one we'll cover, and if time permits, I might try to tackle the second one today as well. Before I start out, as always, I want to remind you and invite you uh, to submit your own question to be addressed on future episodes of the podcast, uh, visit our website at www.kirkvan.com, And there you can submit a question uh, or you can get on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash BibleFAQ with Kirkvan, Or you can email us and that address is question at kirkvan.com. However you decide to submit your question, we'll look forward to receiving it and uh, work it into our queue to be answered on future episodes. Also, if you do check out that website, KirkVan.com, uh, click on the podcast link and then you can see all the different uh, uh, access methods in order to hear or view Bible FAQ with Kirk Van. Uh, we have we are listed with several uh, popular audio podcast apps and services such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. Uh, Alternatively, if you uh, prefer to, uh, if you have, uh, if you're a glutton for punishment and you want to uh, look at this face that's made for radio speak, uh, you're welcome to do that if you like. Uh, We have a YouTube channel, which is linked on our website, KirkVan.com, and also a Facebook page, which... Uh, at current time, it seems to be the most popular method people are accessing uh, the podcast. So check that out. If you're not familiar with podcast apps and services, uh, I would encourage you to check that out. It's a great way uh, to get audio content for when you're driving or when you're working out or uh, anything you do that you have just have spare time to listen, sit out on the porch, whatever it is you do, and uh, podcasts are a very... Uh, popular uh, form of information and there's a lot of great ones out there and I just thank you for all who listen uh, to this podcast. So I want to get to my first question for today and this question uh, was submitted uh, by Bill from South Bend, Indiana. Bill submitted this question through our website and uh, first I want to thank Bill for listening to the podcast. Uh, He's been a supporter and a listener since the very beginning and uh, just been uh, uh, just uh, encouraging in uh, sending a few questions now. Uh, Bill is a ultra runner from South Bend and I met him uh, doing some uh, races together and had just become uh, friends over the internet and also been able to race in a few events together in times past. So uh, I think this is the second question that I've addressed from Bill on the podcast so far. I'm looking forward to answering some other ones he submitted as well. Uh, so Bill's question I'm uh, taking for today, uh, and I'm just reading what he sent. It says, numbers have meaning. Can you give a brief explanation of 3, six, seven, 70 times 7, 666, 777, seven, and many more? Thank you. Well, what Bill is talking about here, of course, is uh, many people call the study of numbers in the Bible uh, biblical numerology. And that's that's uh, just defined what that means. Biblical numerology is just that, the study of numbers in the Bible. And so I'm, I'm well aware that there are some people that attach great spiritual importance to the numbers that appear in the Bible. Uh, my view is that the Bible certainly seems to attach significance to certain numbers. Uh, There appears to be a few that are repeated with uh, some regularity, Uh, so we need to pay attention to those to be sure. Uh, In some cases, a pattern or theme to these certain numbers seems to be really evident. So again, we need to pay attention to those. Uh, But in many cases, I believe that some people, and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, pointing any fingers at anybody in particular, but in some, in many cases, uh, a number is simply a number and doesn't really need to have any deeper spiritual meaning. So I personally don't believe in the utility of searching for, and I don't think this is what the question is getting at, but while we're on the topic, I don't personally see a lot of utility in searching for secret meanings or hidden messages in the Bible through uh, some people call them codes or ciphers, and many of those uh, involve the numbers in the Bible. Um, for example, some throughout history have assigned numeric values to every letter in the ancient alphabets of Hebrew and Greek, in particular the languages the original languages of the Bible, and then they use that to assign values and meanings to words to try to gain gain, gain a deeper understanding or some type of hidden meaning. I don't think that's really intended uh, in scripture. I don't see a lot of proof or evidence for that. Uh, there is a, uh, I guess, a field, discipline, whatever you want to call it, called gematria, uh, which is uh, is stems from Kabbalah or Kabbalah, which is a ancient form of Jewish mysticism. And so this gematria is this Kabbalistic method of interpreting Hebrew words And scriptures by computing these alphanumeric values and um, and then, you know, gaining special insight or spiritual mystic insight is what the uh, Kabbalist Jews believed. And uh, this Kabbalah or Kabbalah has gained a lot of um, followers, especially among celebrities uh, in the time in which we live. And I don't think there's anything to this. I just think it was kind of a a mystical, almost cultish uh, brand of Judaism that was not terribly widespread and is not respected by a lot of uh, many of the Jewish people uh, even today. But nonetheless, people find some value in it. Uh, I don't count myself among those who do. Typically in history, those people and groups who are obsessed with the mystical interpretation of the Bible using esoteric methods such as numerology are the same ones that tend to neglect the clear meaning and guidance of of Scripture uh, that is intended uh, by God and the human authors that he worked uh, with and through. And uh, many times in history, uh, some of these same groups and individuals lead people into de- into deception. And again, I'm not pointing any particular fingers here, uh, but that seems to be a common thread and trend of history. So I just want to say, you know, the natural meaning of Scripture is powerful in and of itself, and certainly sufficient in and of itself to give us all the guidance and direction that we need Uh, So I don't believe we need to seek hidden messages or hidden meanings and that sort of thing. So in my opinion, we should view numerology with great caution and a healthy dose of skepticism uh, because of this type of history and the abuses that it has suffered in the past. Now, having said that, we should not overlook patterns that naturally emerge in Scripture. If there is a natural meaning or significance the specific numbers in Scripture, then we should be open open to uh, to learning from that. Um, so that's kind of my view. Not to the specific numbers, um, you know. It seems to be some somewhat of a consensus that there are four numbers in particular uh, that seem to have significance or meaning in Scripture, and uh, even these four numbers are said to be numbers of completeness or perfection. And those four numbers are the numbers 3, 7, 10, and 12. And there's certainly no denying that those four numbers, uh, just because of the sheer uh, occurrences in Scripture, do seem to have some kind of special meaning. Whether it's completeness or perfection or not, I guess is open to uh, debate and discussion, uh, but they certainly do uh tend tend to be used in a special way. And then the number 40 is certainly another number. So I'm going to address those five numbers in particular, and then I'll also touch on some of the other uh, numbers that Bill mentions in the question. So starting with 3, 7, 10, and 12, these supposedly complete or perfect numbers. Uh, We'll start with the number 3. And some say that the number 3 signifies divine completeness or protection divine completeness of protection now again that the Bible doesn't expressly to say that or teach that it's an inference people have made an implication uh, that's some conclusion that some people have drawn from the use of these numbers so I'll leave it uh, to, to you to decide if that's the case or not um, and really there's not as many references as one might think to the number three uh, and it seems that there are some real stretches of the imagination to try to extend that list for this particular number. So let's start with some of the references we know. Of course, there's three uh, of the major patriarchs. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the three most off sided patriarchs. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for example. Um, there's three pilgrimage feasts in the Old Testament law, that of Passover, uh, Pentecost, or Weeks. And tabernacles, Uh, these were the three feasts that every uh, able-bodied, financially capable uh, Jewish male was uh, required to attend in Jerusalem and appear before God uh, at the temple. Uh, There's the threefold temptation of Christ in the wilderness, uh, three different ways in which uh, the the adversary tried to tempt Jesus. Uh, There was three individuals at the Mount of Transfiguration in the Gospels, Uh, Moses, Elijah, and, of course, Jesus himself. So I'm saying that Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. And Jesus represented uh, the replacement of both, if you will. Uh, Jesus' resurrection took place after three days in the grave. Uh, There's three gifts of grace, faith, hope, and love, that seem to have special significance and meaning in the epistles of Paul. And uh, those are the primary references of course, many people uh, in Christianity who are Trinitarian believe that in a three persons in a Godhead. Uh, I don't certainly count myself. I do not count myself among those who believe in Trinity as a biblical concept. I think it's more of a historical doctrine, not expressly taught in Scripture. Uh, but I I would concur that there are three primary manifestations of of God. Uh, that That is, three primary ways in which God has revealed himself to humanity. Uh, we often use the phrase Father in creation, Son in redemption, Spirit in regeneration. Now, those aren't the only three manifestations of God in Scripture, but they seem to be the three primary, the three main ones. So I will go along with that, although I am uh, uh, not a proponent of the Trinity per se, uh, not in the way it's generally understood. Other references I've read seem to be a bit of a stretch. And uh, I think primarily because of the preponderance of Trinity believers in Christianity, uh, they want to look for much more evidence to show that three is this really significant number in Scripture. So you see a lot of real stretches to try to push this issue, and I just don't think are all that significant. I'm sure I've missed some, uh, but that's the number three. I'll try to move on quickly here. Number seven in Scripture. Uh, some say this is as three was the divine completeness of perfection. They say number seven is a spiritual completeness or perfection. I don't know how exactly we divide or define those differently, but that's that's what some say. And of course, there's seven uh, days of, of creation. Creation took place in six days, and then the seventh day. Uh, God rested. Uh, the seventh day, of course, is the Sabbath uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, those who follow dispensationalism, uh, this was popularized by uh, ministers such as Schofield and Dake, I believe there's seven dispensations of, of, that God dealt with humanity. Uh, in my humble opinion, I'm not a real big fan of dispensationalism. Uh, I, I definitely see there's six different or, uh, different eras in which God dealt with individuals. And by my count, there actually are seven. I never realized that. Uh, But I'll go with uh, before the fall, you know, the paradise, if you will, Uh, the Edenic uh, uh, dispensation, uh, the antediluvian, which would be from the fall to the flood, uh, and then post-flood, which would be the Noahide uh, dispensation, if you want to call it that, the special covenant. And then the patriarchal period, uh, and and then the Mosaic period, the period of the law, all, and then we have the church or the uh, millennium, uh, uh, church to the millennium, rather, so the dispensation of the church or the grace, if you will. And then the future, it seems that the millennium uh, period, will be a separate dispensation, a separate way in which God deals with people. And then we have the kingdom or the eternity, the final dispensation. Now, I I don't know if we can draw a distinction uh, between, um, I I guess we can, like the Patriarch. I don't know if we can draw a distinction between, uh, you know, after the flood, before the Patriarchs, and then, uh, so there may be six, but anyways, that's an interesting study. Um, Covenants with humanity. Some say there's seven different covenants God had with humanity. That of the Adamic covenant, the the, uh, Noahide covenant with Noah, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Levitical, uh, the Davidic covenant, and the Messianic covenant. Um, that, That definitely seems that there are seven different covenants there, and I can't think of any others, so I suppose I could go along with that. Some have pointed out there's seven colors in a rainbow. And since the rainbow doesn't have uh, biblical significance, it was a sign to Noah. I think that there's uh, that's a good example. Uh, There's seven classes of furniture in the tabernacle, the bronze altar, the brazen labor, the golden candlestick, the golden table of uh, showbread, the golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant and then the mercy seat, which is also called the seat of atonement, Uh, the tabernacle. Uh, and Moses Day was built in six days and dedicated on the seventh. Solomon's temple took seven years to build. Uh, There's seven feast days in the law, Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, Atonement, Tabernacles and Trumpets. Of course, there's seven days that the Passover is celebrated. There's seven weeks between Passover and Pentecost, the period in which the counting of the Omer takes place. And there's seven uh, days of the Feast of Tabernacles. And, of course, those three feasts that I just mentioned are the three pilgrimage feasts. So that seems to be significant as well. There, in the agricultural cycles of, of the Jewish people, uh, we often also, also call it the sabbatical cycles. There's seven sabbatical years and then seven sabbatical cycles of seven years each. And then on that's so that's 49 years. And then the 50th year was the Jubilee year, the year of release with the land and properties and rights, uh, et cetera, uh, were reset. So that seems to be significant. Uh, Some point out that the Bible records Jesus uh, performing seven miracles on the Sabbath day, which, of course, is the seventh day. And then, of course, in the book of Revelations, the seven has huge significance. We see seven of lots of things. Seven churches, seven letters, seven candlesticks, stars, angels, spirits of God, seals, judgments, horns, crowns, eyes on the lamb, trumpets, thunders, mountains, bowls, seven kings, and so on. Uh, And so uh, you'd have to be not paying attention to to realize that uh, to think other than seven is pretty significant in Scripture. And then many have seen number 10 having special significance in the scripture. Uh, they call, many call this uh, the number of ordinal completeness, ordinal completeness. Ordinal just has to do with numeric. Uh, of course, you know, most of human civilization is built on a base 10 mathematical system. And for good reason, uh, we have 10 fingers and 10 toes. Uh, 10 is an easy number to multiply and divide and count uh, for for many reasons. And so um, it just seems to be, there just seems to be something practical about it, even if we didn't have 10 fingers, (laughs) seems to be something practical about it. In scripture, we read about the 10 plagues in Egypt, the 10 commandments, of course, that God gave to Moses, the tithe, which is the 10th of one's increase in the tabernacle, there was ten silver sockets that formed the foundation of the tabernacle. There was ten branches on the lampstand in the tabernacle or temple, also called the menorah or the temple menorah, as opposed to the uh, holiday m- m- menorah. Uh, Ten spies were sent uh, in Moses and Joshua's day to uh, investigate the promised land. Some point out that there are ten different I am statements that Jesus made in the New Testament. I am the bread of life. Uh, I am the bread which came down from heaven. I am the living bread. I am the light of the world. I am the one who bears witness of myself. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Ten different statements that Jesus made. Uh, And then um, there may be some more we're missing, but uh, again, in the book of Revelations, there are ten major kingdoms that will exist in the end times. Uh, Not only in the book of Revelations, but in the Old Testament prophecies confirm that as well. So moving on to the number 12. Uh, Again, this is the fourth uh, number that people believe has uh, of completeness or perfection, uh, and some describe this as governmental completeness or perfection. Of course, we have the 12 tribes of Israel uh, in the Jewish tradition, which is the Jacob's or Israel's 12 sons. Uh, we have 12 lunar cycles in a year corresponding to the 12 months of the Hebrew calendar. We have. 12 cakes of bread in the tabernacle, probably representing the 12 tribes. Of course, Jesus himself chose 12 apostles, uh, and the apostles retained this number uh, by selecting Matthias to replace Judas, who had betrayed the Lord. And uh, and so they, they, they also con- concluded there was something significant about the number 12 that they needed to find a replacement for the fallen apostle. In the book of Revelation, 12 seems to have a number. There's 12,000 from each tribe of Israel for a total of 144,000 uh, that will be saved during the tribulation. There's uh, Christ's bride in Revelation chapter 12, wears a crown that has 12 stars. In the New Jerusalem, uh, it's described as having 12 gates of pearl named for the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 angels at each of the gates. Uh, 12 foundations of the city, named for the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the city measures 12,000 furlongs, and the walls are 144 cubits high, which is 12 multiplied by itself, twelve times 12, 144. So it's pretty clear that 12 is a significant number in Scripture too. So they say those four numbers, 3, 7, 10, and 12, seem to have a number of completeness or perfection. Uh, The divine, uh, the spiritual, uh, the ordinal, and the governmental completeness, if you want to follow that line of thinking. And then the other number that I think is undeniable, has spiritual significance, or biblical significance, perhaps better said, is uh, the number 40. And uh, often people have called this a number of probation, or the number of testing, or the number of trial. And when we see how it's used here in a moment, you'll understand uh, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights before the great flood, which, of course, was a time of, of testing of the earth and, and purging of the earth. Uh, Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Um, and again, that was a time of testing for Israel. Uh, Moses was lived in four, 40 years in Egypt and then 40 years in Midian before he finally served God for 40 years. So 120 years total divided into three 40-year periods of Moses' life. Moses was on the Mount of God, Sinai, when he received the law for 40 days, during which time he fasted. Uh, later in Deuteronomy, on a separate occasion, Moses, Moses interceded for Israel for 40 days before the Lord. Uh, Goliath in David's day taunted Israel for 40 days before David confronted him and eventually slew him. Uh, The first three kings of Israel, which was Saul and David and Solomon, each had a a reign of exactly 40 years each. Uh, Ezekiel fasted for 40 days when he fled from Jezebel. Uh, 40... uh, Forty lashes, according to the Mosaic law, was the maximum number of lashes that a person could receive as punishment for committing a crime. So again, this idea of probation, testing, or trial. Uh, The prophet Jonah was given 40 days notice before the judgment of Nineveh. Uh, Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness before his own temptation and trial, if you will. And of course... Uh, Jesus taught his disciples for 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. Uh, So there was exactly 40 days uh, during those two events, and he taught met regularly with his chosen uh, apostles and disciples and and taught them during that period. So that seems to be a significant number in Scripture as well. Uh, And as some pointed out, perhaps a, a time of probation or testing or trial. Now, uh, there's some other numbers that were alluded to in the question that I'll touch on really briefly here. Um, uh, first, uh, the number 70 times 7 was mentioned in the question. The only reference, and of course this is a famous one, a popular one, that I know of in Scripture is 70 times 70. as from Matthew chapter 18, and uh, uh, I'll read verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how many? Uh, How oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say unto thee, until I I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. So we 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 could go on and on about this, but uh, I'll try to make it brief. Most Bible commentators have concluded that Jesus was simply playing off the question. Uh, of Peter and was not defining a specific number. Peter was the one that asked if if it's seven times. He said, no, 70 times seven. So, of course, that would be 490 if you do the math. Uh, I don't think he was pointing to a specific number. I think Jesus was more using a literary device, playing off of the question of Peter, to pointing out the absurdity of keeping track of a number of how many times you should forgive someone. In other words, there should be no limit and this exchange is followed by the parable of the unforgiving servant which has the basic lesson and meaning of considering the enormous debt of sin that we have been forgiven by God we should be eager to forgive those who sin against us as many times as necessary and so uh it's just kind of a uh a artistic you know literary way of of, of you know putting out a big insurmountable number, if you will. Now, I am aware that some have tried to ascribe some alphanumerical code to give this even deeper significance to the number 490. I don't believe that's the intention of scripture, so I won't go into that, although I might mention it here again in a moment. Uh, And then the question also asked about the number six and the, the significance of six in scripture. Well, six is often seen as a number of imperfection or weakness. Uh, certainly, the number of man, because man was created on the sixth day of creation, the final day of creation before the Sabbath or the rest. So sometimes synonymous or or, or inferring a, of man's fallen nature or or propensity to be evil or wicked. Even so, as I said, man was created on the sixth day. Also, all the land animals were created on the sixth day, including the serpent who. Uh, was later um, embodied by by the adversary, the devil, uh, to, of course, to tempt Adam and Eve and, and uh, instigate the fall of man to begin with. Uh, other references to six: man is appointed to work six days and then to rest on the seventh. Uh, There's six-year cycles for farming we already mentioned, and then the seventh, the land lays dormant. That's the sabbatical cycle. Uh, There's six-year cycles as well, and. Of course, with the seventh year being the uh, uh, the year of rest or the sabbatical year, uh, Hebrew slaves served for six years uh, before they had the opportunity to be released if they so chose. So those are some of the um, references to six. Um, there's probably not a lot more, and so I don't think we can read much into that, other than six is one short of seven. I guess is the biggest is the biggest takeaway, and therefore falling short of perfection. Um, And then also from the question, the number 666, now many will recognize this number as uh, what's called the mark of the beast, the number of the Antichrist from Revelation chapter 13. Uh, So this chapter of Revelation reveals John's vision for two beasts commonly called the Antichrist and the false prophet. At the end of the chapter, let me just read the citation here. Uh, chapter 13, verse 16, And he causeth all, both great and small, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he have that mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is six hundred three score and six. So. Throughout history, believers have tried to use this number found in Revelation 16 to discover the identity of the Antichrist. Um, And again, a lot of times they've gotten into alphanumeric codes and ciphers to try to find out, you know, is this pointing to a specific individual? Probably the very first case of this was um, the the first century Christians themselves. Uh, Apparently the name of the emperor Nero has the alphanumeric value if you calculate it a certain way of 666. So there's a lot of speculation and some evidence that uh, the early Christians wondered if that might be the individual. Obviously, it was not. Um, So again, I'm really skeptical of these hidden codes and ciphers. Uh, The Book of Revelation is filled with symbolism. And some of that symbolism might point to certain things. Some of it may not. Some of it might just, um, you know, be symbolism. So it's not irrational to conclude that this number is also symbolic. For example, uh, the the Bible specifically says it's the number of the man. So it just might be telling us that this is about incompleteness, imperfection, uh, the fact that this is not real, Uh, It's not God-ordained, but it's uh, in the sense that this person who's going to rise up is going to claim to be from God, but not be from God. So being that six is a number of incompleteness, imperfection, it's not hard to imagine a combination of three sixes representing something like religion and government and economics all rolled into one world system, which certainly does seem to Uh, be implied by the prophetic writings of the Old Testament and the book of Revelations in the New Testament. Now it may point to a specific individual at some point in time. I've read even more modern um, hypothesis about who the Antichrist might be. I remember reading a book back in the 80s uh, when I was uh, a new Christian and and, this person was a reputable source, as far as I'm concerned, and made several predictions who the Antichrist may have been based on, based on this type of, uh, of reasoning. And of course, most of those people are dead and gone now, so that didn't work out. I'm not saying it's impossible that this number can help us identify an individual. I'm just saying it's not necessary. Uh, it's not necessarily the case. It could be something as I pointed out just to point out the incompleteness, imperfection, a combination of different roles such as religion, government, economics or some other thing that seems to be pointed at in scripture. And uh, this is highly controversially heavily debated. I don't know that anyone knows for sure. I've read a lot of interesting um, you know, theories, but I don't know if any of them have, you know, undeniable evidence attached to them. So intriguing and interesting, but something we ought to uh, approach with, with, a, with a bit of skepticism, I, I guess I would say personally. Also from the question, uh was the number 777. Um, as far as I can tell, and I, I, you know, did a little bit of digging, uh, there's no reference to this number in Scripture um, at all that I can find. Uh, and, you know, I, I looked at several reputable sources that talk about biblical numerology. So it seems to be an extra biblical idea, if you will, simply a contrast between 666. Now, some have suggested that, it again, um, people who uh, who believe in the Trinity have suggested that it represents the threefold per- perfection of the Trinity. Well, I don't believe that the Trinity is a biblical doctrine. It's not substantial. It's historically came about later. And so this understanding also came about later and not everybody subs- who subscribes to the Trinity even subscribes to that. So uh, I'm not convinced there's any special significance to this, but it's just an extension of the idea of 666 being the number of the Antichrist, so therefore 777 has to be related to God in some special way, even though the Bible doesn't say that specifically. So in conclusion for this question, and I think in conclusion for this podcast as well, um, because we're coming up on a good time to wrap things up here, while there are a few numbers that are repeated frequently and therefore seem to hold significance in Scripture, such as three, seven, 10, and 12, these so-called numbers of completion or perfection, uh, the number 40, trial or probation, uh, those do seem to be frequently used enough that they do hold some significance. So I guess it's really up to us to determine or to investigate what the significance may be. I don't think it's an overwhelming spiritual necessity to grasp this strongly, um, but, um, it's interesting to track the occurrences of these numbers to look for the patterns and to and to discuss you know what they might what we may be able to learn from them i don't know that we can learn a whole lot much more from them than what i already covered uh but as i mentioned we must be careful that we don't ascribe too much meaning to these numbers that is we don't want to manufacture meaning to these numbers that is not intended by scripture and does not naturally come out of the study of scripture Uh, so most of these codes that i've uh, mentioned uh, that some people say seem to hold significance are most likely in most cases coincidental i mentioned these codes or these ciphers uh, and for example I briefly mentioned, I'll just give you a quick example here before I wrap this up. I briefly mentioned the number 490, 70 times 7. Well, there are some who say, well, that must have some special significance. So I I read one individual who he wrote that the the Hebrew word tamim, uh, which means complete or perfect or finished, has the alphanumeric value of 490. And so what Jesus was saying by 70 times seven is that uh, he was he was um, intimating something about completeness or perfection or finished. Well, I, I was curious about that, so I did a little bit more digging on numerology and I discovered there's nearly a hundred words in the in Hebrew, uh, just in the Old Testament alone that have an alphanumeric value of four hundred ninety. So there's actually websites where one can search these things and find all the words of the Old Testament that have the same alphanumeric code. Uh, among among them, uh, well, Greek and Hebrew, but the vast majority of them were Hebrew, a handful were Greek. And so the name Peter uh, is one of them. So, you know, maybe that was a little sly little trick on Jesus' part to be funny. Because his, but I doubt that. That's probably coincidental. Some of the other Hebrew words that have a uh, alphanumeric code of 490 are wisdom, here as in Shema, like this Deuteronomy 6:4, soul, judgment, inheritance, testimony, the word holy, transgression, snare, cover, shame, anoint. And overcome. Now those are just a handful of the nearly 100 words, but my point is I could probably make a fairly compelling and convincing case that Jesus meant to imply one of those words by using the, the, the 70 times 7. I think that this idea that it means complete perfect finish because of the Hebrew temim is just total coincidence, and probably what this author did is just scroll through the words and pick the one he liked and say that's what Jesus must have meant. I don't think there's any evidence to read to believe that that's what Jesus meant. Now, could it be anything's possible. I mean, but there's so many different options. I don't think we can say with any precision or any certainty that that's what he meant. And and that's the kind of double-edged sword of this biblical numerology. I think in, in the final analysis, these hidden meanings that we find in biblical numerology are definitely subject to bias. If nothing else, a confirmation bias. We we see what we expect to see, or we we want to find a meaning so we find a meaning even if we have to contrive or manufacture one. And this is a good example. Almost any number you pop in, almost you can come up with a, a list of 50, 100, 150 words in scripture. And so certainly one of those, you can kind of find some esoteric meaning from. But I don't believe that's the proper use of biblical interpretation. In addition to the confirmation bias, we find what we expect to find. There's also the omission bias. In other words, we omit the results that don't conform to the pattern of our desired outcome. In the case I just mentioned uh, for this 490, like I said, there's a, almost a hundred like 97 words or something of that nature. And the guy picked the one. Well, why not any of the other, you know, 96 words or whatever uh, because he found the one that he liked the most is probably the best explanation so that's a bias of omission. And then also in the study of numerology I think there's a reporting bias. In other words, people tend to believe erroneous information simply because it's been repeated in multiple sources. So someone says, oh, this number means this. Someone else likes that, they put it in their book or their blog or, or their sermon or whatever and then eventually it circulates among enough people that it becomes common knowledge when, in, in fact, it was just something that was kind of, uh, you know, questionable to begin with. And I think we see that not just in numerology, but in a lot of these spiritual meanings of of certain scriptures and all that that just don't arrive naturally out of the text. So, as I said before, often a number is just a number, but we should be concerned with understanding the intended natural meaning of scriptures, numbers included. And as I said before, that doesn't mean uh, we should be careful not to overlook if numbers do have special significance and meaning, and we should try to to discern what the Bible might be trying to teach us. And I think these numbers of 3, 7, 10, and 12 uh, and and forty are good examples. They obviously are used with such frequency that it can't be coincidental. I don't know that there's a deep, powerful, you know, life-changing spiritual significance to that, but yet there is a meaning there, and it's one that we can learn from, and uh, and aid uh, in our understanding of scripture, uh, if nothing else. So I hope that answers the question, Bill. I don't know if the, it's the answer you're looking for. That's my take, and others certainly have their own views uh, of biblical numerology. They're different to mine, and I guess we all just need to decide for ourselves uh, what the best use of this particular discipline is. So once again, thank you for the question, and thanks to everyone who listened to this episode. As always, I appreciate so much. All those who take the time uh, to check out Bible FAQ. Well, that's all the time uh, we'll take for today. So until next time. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Thanks again for listening. Goodbye for now.